Bully, a person who habitually seeks to harm or intimidate those whom they perceive as vulnerable. Have you ever felt persecuted by the Christian community for something that didn't quite align with their belief system? Like the person you voted for in office dictates whether or not you're going to hell? Or the fact that you listen to Lauren Daigle means you're stepping away from your faith? I feel like at some point or another, you have felt insecure for asking questions. This week, we're talking about Christians bullying for Christ. There's a huge difference between having a bold faith and a bad practice with the gospel. If you've ever felt like the Great Commission seemed more like a fear tactic than an open invite, then this one's for you. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert. A safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. This is episode 48. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And we are your hosts. Today we are talking about a topic that Elaine brought to my attention. And we're just going to title it Bullying for Christ. All across the good old globe, there are modern day crusaders hiding behind keyboards and pulpits, talking uh, down to other Christians, talking down to people who disagree, and being bullies. And the Christian faith as a whole is getting a bad rap. So we're going to be taking a moment to call out the Christian bullying that's going on so we can all hold ourselves to a higher standard. Because really, Jesus was never a bully. Jesus may have had some bold statements. He may have had beliefs, but he didn't bully people. We're going to get into more of that in just a bit. But first, it's time for Reckless Roundup. That's right, Reckless Roundup, the best way to get up to date with all your out-of-the-box religious news. Now, I'm going to open us up today because I think I have the one that's probably a little less serious than you, because you said you had a serious topic. For those of you listening that don't know, I don't know what Elaine has for us, and she doesn't know what I have This is fun. For us. So yeah, <laughs> so this is all new to us too. So my article is coming from express.co.uk. So it's a UK article, and it's titled Eclipse 2019 Prophecy. Will the world end on January 22nd? Shock, Blood Moon, Bible Reveal. So before I even get into this, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers a few years ago, there was like four blood moons within one year and everyone predicted the world was going to end because of a verse in Revelation talking about blood moons. You remember that? Yes. I was going to say, I don't know if this is the exact same year because I feel like every year people will say that God's returning, but that was actually my very first blog post. It was back in 2012 and I had literally wrote about this pastor who said that the, the world was ending. Um, I don't remember if it had to do with a blood moon or whatever. I see but it, moon it was something. And so, yes, I do remember that clearly. 
I'm just going to sing in all of these segments. I think it's the <laughs> second time, like second week in a row I have sang. That's okay. Random songs. So I'll just start out here. Christian doomsday preachers believe the January lunar eclipse is an ominous sign of the biblical apocalypse. Here is what the Bible has to say about the world ending after the super blood moon, all capitals. The so-called super blood moon eclipse will dye the moon an ominous red color between January 20th and January 21st. As a result, the astronomical phenomenon refracted sunlight in the Earth's shadow will cast a red hue on the moon. Conspiracy theorists, however, have linked the innocuous blood moon to apocalyptic warnings of the end times in the Bible. So basically, anytime there's a blood moon, this happens. But uh, here we are again with a new blood moon coming, and we're warning of the end times all over again. Christian doomsday preachers believe the blood moon is a harboring of doom in the sign of Jesus' uh, return to earth. Because of this, evangelical preacher Paul Begley from West Lafayette, Indiana, has said there is a remote possibility of the world ending on January 22nd. I love his confidence. There is a remote possibility, guys. During an online sermon, the preacher said, Obviously, these apocalyptic signs in the heavens are pointing to a catastrophic event that is just on the horizon. We don't know when. Just because you're going to have a super blood moon on January 20th to 21st doesn't mean that on January 22nd, all hell's going to break loose. But then again, it doesn't mean it won't. True. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Man, that is some precise Insight. information they need right to be there. on our podcast. So they can just... That is a prophetic word <laughs> from amazing. Lafayette. Where, where did I see this from? Lafayette, Indiana, right there. <laughs> I just love how, like, so many people are, like, confident the world is going to end. And now so many people have been wrong about it. We're at that point where it's just like, I mean, it could or it could not happen. So be prepared. So I feel like that's every day. So we can just agree. Nobody knows the time. To stop saying that we know because obviously we don't, and that it could be any time, today or a million years from now. Oh man, Beagley is also quoted uh, saying, "And so the urgency, folks, is now, right now. Okay, the urgency has begun." I, I think it's interesting how uh, preachers use things like this to push the urgency to put scare tactics on other believers to get their act together or maybe they're trying to put pressure on the quote-unquote like sinners to get their act together it's almost really a form of bullying if you think about it like we're not even into the episode yet but that is kind of bullying people like scare tactics you know that's that's not cool and the funny thing is blood moons have literally been happening. Haven't we like seen one and you took pictures of it I a think few I've years seen, like, ago? 25 or 30 blood moons in my life. Like they happen every year, I believe. I don't know how they, I don't know the cycles of them, but I know they They're happen frequent. like on the regular. Like yeah. that's a normal occurrence. Lunar eclipses aren't that rare at all. Solar eclipses are rare, but lunar eclipses really aren't that, that rare at all. So whatever. But Anyway, it may or may not be coming, everyone, so watch out. So be prepared. Be prepared. And if you remember, it's probably your cell phone doing it, because that's what's ushering the age of the Antichrist, yep. at least according to last week. So, Okay, Elaine, what do you have for us? So mine is not necessarily weird, but it's not super serious either. I got it from the Christian Post. You love that website. I really do. Like, there's so many good things, because they have, like... By good, do you mean crazy, or... 
some of it, yes. Okay. They have different segments. And so this one, also like last episode, I think these were both in the entertainment segment. But um, basically a Christian author and preacher tore into what he called terrible Christian movies today, arguing that many are being made by propagandists rather than artists. Oh. Basically saying the examples of good Christian movies there have only been two, The Passion of the Christ and Silence. You and I actually watched Silence. I can actually years. completely agree with his statement. I love both of those films, and those are the only two good Christian quote-unquote films I've seen. I was going to say, I've seen a couple of them, and the only other one that I have seen that I actually didn't mind was... Um, the Mercy Me one that we saw. Yeah, those are more of a documentary. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, Just the most, <laughs> you know, the, the most famous Christian But yeah, and so if history. you have not seen Silence, it will rock your world and make you question everything. So if you're not ready for that, don't go watch it. But it's a great movie. If you're not questioning everything, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, and so... He goes on to say, famous authors, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, um... I think I butchered his last name, Chesterton. They just weren't writing for the Christian market because that market does not want art that communicates truth, but art that is being used by message, and there's a difference. It's a difference between art and propaganda and how characters in Christian movies don't often sound like people in real life. They sound like Christians imagine or desire real life to be. This is why the Christian uh, protagonists are always earnest, even when they don't have all the answers. And why the non-Christian antagonists always sound like the one-dimensional memes Christian tilt against in their Facebook streams. He positioned that the Christian movies look to portray narrative tidiness. Every prayer sounds scripted. Every dramatic moment sounds cliched. The pastors sound like the phrases on motivational posters. Christians speak to non-Christians in a gotcha wisdom, delivering Jesus-y fortune cookies, bon mots to souls, apparently just a few well-turned phrases away from conversion. The theology of Christian movies can be scribbled on the back of a napkin. It's Christian bookstore coffee mug level philosophy. I actually really like everything he said because I completely agree. I think it goes on too. Yeah, most Christian movies are absolute garbage. And I, I say garbage because like they they have no depth to them. They are just cliche after cliche. And I completely agree with what he had to say about how it is like this false uh, reality portrayal of what christians wish the world looked like and wished they could win the arguments they win and it was it's very one-dimensional and to me christian movies they're portrayed as a tool to minister to people and to like reach the lost quote unquote but in reality they're just uh, another way to make christians isolated in their bubble I will say one of the things that kind of stood out to me in the article, it says, unless we show how deep the sin, we can't show how great the salvation. Because he was saying how like you can't show a biker and not him cussing or like you can't have somebody like a lot of Christian movies don't show real world life events. Right. And so how they're more cheesy than anything. And he said, if you're going to have people make fun of the gospel, have people make fun of the gospel because of the cross, not because it was a corny movie. Well, I think this does a good job of seg uh, segueing into our topic for the day. So we're going to wrap up this week's Reckless Roundup. And guys, as always, if you have any crazy religious news you want to share, please drop us an email, mail at therecklesspursuit.com, or tag us on social media, and we would love to read what you found. And with that, let's just jump right into today's topic, 
Bullying for Christ. So Elaine, you shared something on Facebook today which sparked this entire topic that we're talking about. Care to share about that? Well, first of all, um, I think it's kind of ironic that I shared this because right before I was actually on Twitter, I'm not an avid Twitter user, but sometimes I pop in on hours just to kind of see if, if there's conversation going on. And somebody had posted this tweet with the hashtag expose Christian schools. And I was really interested in that hashtag. So I was looking at it and was just seeing all of these people who were confused and hurt and degraded by different things, different at different levels, different grades, what have you, of Christian schools, private schools, where the, te- the religious leaders and teachers completely indoctrinated them, made them feel insecure, insignificant for their questions, just completely derated them and um, like instilled fear into young kids and made them have anxiety issues and stuff. And it was just really making me infuriated. I wasn't shocked, which is sad to say, but it was just so crazy some of the things that I was reading. And so I went on Facebook at a separate time and saw this picture and it said, you can't treat people like garbage and still worship God at the same time. And so I shared that and I was like, look, like no wonder people hate God or no wonder people think Christians are hypocritical because we're... Because they are. Yeah. But like it goes deeper than, oh, people make mistakes. Like there are people who deliberately instill fear into people and make them feel like crap because they have questions or think different or even just normal live situations happen and you have people who claim to be Christians who just interrogate people. Yeah, there's this other like it's not a meme. I don't know what you call it. It's like a like a word block kind of similar to what you're talking about, just a photo word block and uh it says something along the lines of I know I come across as overbearing or condescending, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you knew Jesus like I did and what he can do for you, you would understand. And I've seen this at least a dozen times from different people on my Facebook, and I understand their heart behind it. I really honestly do. Like I understand that uh, the whole bit about evangelizing and like that's the whole part of evangelical of the evangelical side of Christianity, I guess, like go make disciples. But I think a lot of people miss where the Bible also says like show by your works and be silent in your actions too, you know, be silent and show by your works. But aside from that, that is kind of exactly what we're talking about is people think that uh, forwarding the chain letter or responding with amen, hallelujah is, is their ticket to heaven. And they, they think that they have to go on this internet crusade or this crusade against people and treat them like garbage so they'll understand the love of Christ. It's almost like uh, this outsider, insider, us versus them mentality. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard about that before. Like that's not the first time this conversation has been had by all means, but there is most certainly an us versus them mentality. And it's really uh, I feel like it's grabbing a hold more and more, and it's just, it's demonic. It is not of God at all. It is not a Christian behavior. And I would be far um, far from it to think that when you exhibit those behaviors, 
you're further from Christ than the people who you, you think you're trying to reach in the first place. Well, and also people completely misuse scripture and kind of on those Facebook quote card memes, whatever, um, where they say, if you deny me in, in front of my father, whatever. Right. So like, uh, like this post, share and type amen. But if you don't, God will judge you. Like, I don't, I ignore those things all the time. And I feel like people on Facebook, some of the older generation may think I'm like the worst Christian because I will not share any of that. Yeah, see, the, my favorite ones are the ones that like have the, they're like super pixely and they look like they've been screenshot like over 10 times because <laughs> no one knows how to repost things apparently. And it's like the the bold red font with like the cheesy picture and it's just like, where will you spend eternity uh, Which is very the psychological. Is coming, you know, like even down to the color of those type. pictures. Yeah, I mean, it's all like this. I don't think people realize it, but it has a complete psychological bit to it, where you're trying to be, uh, in, you're trying to instill fear into people to turn them to Christ. And you have to ask yourself: Is that really creating Christians at all, or is it just creating people who don't want to burn in a lake of fire? Or like those billboards that we see all the time coming to and from our house. That they oh, change yeah. out, like, for yeah. the Christian hotline number or whatever, and it's like, where will you? Or, when you die, yeah. where will you spend eternity? It has, like, a lake of fire, and then it has, like, a cloud. Or um, there's one on the way uh, toward, like, there's a place called Hot Springs here in Arkansas, and there's one when you're driving that way, and it's on, like, the I-30 freeway or something like that. I know you don't care if you're listening to this where it's at, but... Anyway, uh, there's this this billboard. It's old and kind of run down now, and it says, warning, prepare to meet God. And I'm just like, is that a threat? Are you saying you're going to cause me to have a car accident? What are you implying with that billboard? I don't know what you mean by warning, prepare to meet God. As you're just cruising down the end, like that's just not what you want to read while you're going down one of the busiest interstates uh, in your area that's always, like, backed up with traffic and has wrecks. Like, I, it's just a little distasteful. I'm, I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, so we have definitely created a bullying culture, bullying for Christ. And so we're going to go over a few areas where bullying happens the most. Uh, we've already touched on a couple of them, and we'll loop back to that. But the first one I want to talk about is politics. Uh, this is a personal pet peeve of mine. And I think we do a terrible job with this. Now, I know in some of our older episodes, we've touched on this before, but since we're in our new format, we're being a little more bold and brash about it. I want to I circle back to this. I think it's ridiculous, some of the things that I have read on Facebook uh, and, and Twitter about politics, specifically Facebook, because I feel like it draws like a certain type of crowd to it. Maybe I'm just on Facebook more. I don't know. But there's this uh, this thing that happens on Facebook where people share the most ridiculous things. And I'm not even talking about just religious. There's the religious ones of like, you can't be a Democrat and still call yourself a child of God, which is just repugnant. Like that's just, that's blasphemous. That's bull crap. That is just the biggest load of junk ever. Like that is, oh, I'm sorry. I can get fired up about that. That is just garbage. And, uh, it makes me mad that someone would even attempt to to bottle someone's religious views or their their relationship with Christ down to how they voted. 
uh, because that can go so many different ways. There's some more of those things that irritate me right now. Of course, um, currently we're on a government shutdown, and so I see nothing but Nancy Pelosi memes floating around everywhere, calling her a dog, calling her a whore, calling her, uh, you know, Jezebel, the whore of Babylon, calling her Satan, scum, Satan, comparing her to the devil, telling her she should burn. Everything imaginable is being said about this woman. And whether you like her or not, that's not your choice. If you are trying to live like Jesus, are you going to sit there and bash someone like that? And you can say, well, Jesus called out the Pharisees. Okay, let's take this into perspective. This is a thing we want to talk about all along. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, I believe it is, he's uh, he's talking um, about to the I believe he's talking to the disciples, talking about them going out. And if the religious people shun them, uh, then there is more hope for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for those people. Jesus constantly bashes the religious people because the religious people are the ones that should know better. And so we constantly use that as an excuse to knock people over the head. And we don't even realize that we are the ones that Jesus was griping at in the first place. And it's not okay. The same goes for Donald Trump. You can't just constantly bash Donald Trump. I don't care how much you hate him as a person. It is against your, uh, it's against what Jesus teaches just to run him into the ground. You don't have to agree with his things. You don't have to agree with who they are, but that doesn't give you anyone right to say that any of these people deserve to die, to burn, uh, to tell how, um, much they don't even deserve life. And another thing with politics that really irks me is how political leaders use the church as a way of promoting votes and as a way of manipulating the system. And I know a lot of people believe this happened with this last election. I'm not sitting here saying it did or did not. What I'm saying is so many people, uh, they wrap their faith up in being a Republican or in their political party. And that's just not okay. There is no political party that Jesus would vote for. I'm sorry. There's just not. You know, Jesus was against the division and against the separation. And I think we need to remember that. Even if Christians are bashing these people because they don't agree with their theology or agree, agree with their actions or moral standards or what have you, if Christians did more praying for their leaders, I feel like a lot of the bad decisions that we don't agree with not that they wouldn't make those decisions, but I feel like we as Christians should be praying more instead of bashing people. Well, but here's the thing, and I'm going to call out specifically conservative Christians right now on this. I see memes all the time. I've seen three today. One was a picture of Donald Trump, uh, Trump's family. It said, pray for the Trumps, you know. Uh, then I saw the Trumps. Is that right? The Trumps. Yeah, whatever. Sounds weird. And then I saw another one saying... Uh, what was it saying? Um, First Lady Melania is requesting everyone to pray for Donald Trump. And then like I go and read the comments just out of just to humor myself, just to just to see. And there's all these people on there. First Lady, I'm for you. I'm praying. And I'm then I'll see the same people that are sharing these things, post things like with these twisted, distorted views of uh, uh, Democratic leaders or, you know, even like Obama past Democratic presidents. 
and then just run them in the ground talking about how they are scum and they're the problem with everything and how they deserve nothing. And our political leader, you hear pray for your political leader so much that it almost sounds cliche and it sounds like traditional and annoying and you just kind of get sick of hearing for it. But whenever people say pray for your political leaders, they mean your political leaders, not just your president, not just your vice president. They mean praying for your house, your senate, the leadership of the nation. Why would you spend time just praying for Donald Trump? What are you praying for? What are you asking for? Have you taken the time to think about all these other people? If it wasn't for a diversity of opinion, this country wouldn't be what it is. It takes diversity to make this country work, even if that means opinions we don't agree with. And that goes so much further. There's a lot of uh, young, um, new politicians on this scene, a few of which I know a lot of Christians are up in arms about because they're Muslim. So there's two Muslim women that have been elected uh, to Congress on this last this last election. And I, had, I saw today a meme of the Twin Towers, and it showed a picture of one of them. I'm not sure which one. And it said, America, did you learn nothing? And that that hurts me like really it makes bad. My stomach hurt. Because sure, these people may not agree, may not worship the same way you worship. But that doesn't mean they're terrorists, okay? And I know people are going to argue, oh well, all Muslims are terrorists. Bull crap! Uh, Christians have done just as many bad things as as uh, Muslims have. Uh, if you look through history, Christians have over and over again killed. In the name of Christ. Right now, we're talking about how Christians bully in the name of Christ. And this has just got to stop. You cannot, that's not okay. That is not what Jesus wants. That is not Christianity. That's a cult. You're living in a false reality and you're feeding in to the system that wants to control you because there's real Christianity out there, okay? There is real Christianity. And dare I say it, there is a fake Christianity that is controlled by that same media that Elaine was talking about in uh, in her article. There is a level of of uh, people out there. A lot of people. Uh, I know some background to the Christian music industry and some of the stuff that goes on there. I've heard stories of. And I'm not going to name artists, but uh, I've heard stories of people. Um, smoking blunts with the artist to get them booked in other places. That's like completely against the traditional view of Christianity, despite, you know, we're not getting to a marijuana talk here. But what I'm saying is like, there is a false Christianity out there that is this uh, hyper intense view that the news outlets and the media corps use to control Christians to milk them for money and power. And they're That's doing the Jesus. same thing. <laughs> That's it's not just, who Jesus was. It's just a control mechanism because they know how to manipulate the system to get the views, to get the money, to get, get the, the funds, to get the votes uh, and the backing they need to get into power. And it's all a power play and they're playing on our emotions and claiming they're doing it uh, with Jesus behind them. And it's a bunch of bull. So let's talk about our next point. Pro-life and pro-choice. This is another one that just gets me fired up. It kind of ties into politics. But, Elaine, you got anything to say on this one? Um, Actually, so I was uh, reading those tweets from that hashtag exposed Christian schools. And there was one, I think, 
it was talking about there was a Christian school that was outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, back in the 80s, there was an abortion clinic that was bombed or caught on fire or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Christian school were actually praising the bombing hmm. and were like rejoicing. And like these little kids, like this person now our age was talking about how back then in the 80s as a kid that that was very like such a scary thing and um there was countless other tweets about how um a lot of times how christians act towards people who have abortions they feel like there's no grace or mercy and they feel like there's they're a bad person for something that had happened in in their past and like it's just it's so frustrating that we say love everyone except for the abortionist except for those people i'm not going to stand um on the grounds of an abortion clinic with a sign saying like they're going to hell you know that happens so much these uh i mean like i'm not sitting here you know attacking anyone for like a march for life or anything like that i personally like want I, i would hate to be in a position where I felt the pressure of thinking that abortion was my only option. And that's the biggest problem is, you know, these young women feel like they have no other options. And instead of giving options, and now there's some groups out there that do, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to blanket statement, all Christians and say, no one has it right. What I'm saying is uh, the vast majority of people think by yelling, stop killing babies. That's going to end abortion. In reality, there's a group of people out there who are lining up to these clinics to have abortions because they feel like they have no other option. They feel like if they take now, and let's, let's talk about this for a second. Okay. This is a big one just came to my mind. Uh, so thank you, Lord. It was from the Lord. I'm just going to say it's from the Lord to call it out right here on I this podcast. <laughs> God just told me this to tell you heathens. Uh, we talk about how evil abortions are. So let's do a scenario here. You have a young girl who has had, uh, who has got pregnant. She's an active member of her youth group, and now she has had, uh, she's had sex with another boy. She was pressured into it, whatever, whatever, however you want to look at it. You know, pressure was there, temptation was there. She had sex. They got pregnant. Now she's faced with the option have an abortion or get judged to no extent for having sex outside of marriage because the the purity culture and and I'm not one to be against you know like waiting or anything like that by any means like I'm not sitting here saying that I'm not preaching against uh, abstinence or for it or anything that's not the conversation we're having what I'm saying is she has to make the choice she can go and abort this baby and hopefully keep it a secret or she can face the wrath of her church the church that is supposed to have the people that are supposed to be loving and welcoming those situations in and helping those people in those situations, finding the help that they need, counsel, mentorship. But instead, that girl would be faced with, hopefully not, but instead that uh, girl would be faced with judgment and being an outcast. Right, and so we have created an environment where people feel like abortion is the only option because they're so scared. And I'm not saying this is every situation, but I'm saying, uh, you know it, you can see what I'm talking about. It would be terrifying 
walking into your church as a pregnant teen, having to go through nine months and then the first years of this child's development, if not lifetimes, of the judging glances from church members. Oh, well, we know how she had that kid. We know where that kid came from. We know the mistakes she made. And the pressure and the the judgment and constantly having to feel that as opposed to the option of I could just go up here, I could have a simple procedure and pray to God no one finds out and I won't have to worry about it. And 10 years down the road, I can just confess it and get it out of there. And it's like a Band-Aid. I could just remove it quickly, rip it off, and I'm done. And it's so much less pressure than having to actually go through with keeping that child. And so it all comes down to the fact that this fake Christianity that we have cultivated uh, prefers comfort and safety and not doing, and they prefer to just say bold statements to keep them from having to do actual work. It takes a whole lot more work to support someone in that situation than it does just to bash their circumstance. And the same goes for homosexuality, honestly. Uh, you know, you look at someone who is a homosexual who feels that they are trying to live a good Christian life, and where do we get off telling them where they're going to go? Why is that the sin that we pick on? We have uh, church leaders addicted to pornography. We have uh, all kind of uh, sin running rampant amongst the halls because we're all not perfect. We may be trying, but we're not perfect, and yet that's the one we choose to call out and just get behind and scream at because that's what we've been taught to do. Another tweet that I saw earlier about exposed Christian schools was how um, this person, when they were uh, like sixth or seventh grade, um, their whatever, whichever teacher, I don't remember what subject it was, but they um, were talking about um, how like they were talking about sin and um, what happens when you sin and you need to ask for forgiveness and repent. And the kid had asked if a serial killer had committed all of these murders and was like a horrible person their entire life, but then one day out of the blue repented, asked for forgiveness, would they go to heaven? And the teacher was like, of course, he repented and forgave of his sins. And the kid was like, okay, so what if there was a person who was gay, but they, they lived this amazing life. They were a great person. They did all the right things, but they were gay. Would they go to hell? And the teacher said, absolutely. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I have a problem with that. I don't know how to respond. <laughs> yeah, Siri okay, was so. literally just like read like every bit of that. Was, Siri was just in there. I was going to say, side note, um, apparently all of that was recorded on Siri. <laughs> and she doesn't know how to yeah, respond. Yeah, she said, I don't know how to respond to that because I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no, and it's true. And that goes back to the whole thing in Matthew 10 as well, just talking about how Sodom and Gomorrah have um, better stakes on the day of judgment than these religious people do. And like, you know, just a quick recap. Among other things, what was Sodom and Gomorrah's one of their big deal? It was homosexuality. And I'm not... Uh, like I said, I'm not getting into this argument yet. It's coming. But the specific topic of homosexuality, uh, you know, Jesus said, like, those guys are better off than the religious people on Judgment Day. And that just that shows you something. Uh, and why are we so quickly to bash? If we say we want to help someone, why do we hurt them so much? That's the, that's the overlying, the, the arc of the whole story here is 
When people say, I want to live for Christ, I want to do good and help people, why do we hurt people so much? Why can we not realize our words are powerful? If we talk about the, we preach from behind the pulpits, the power of positive words, uh, the power of positive words, the power of positive emotions and being the light in the darkness. And then we go out there and we basically Christian cuss everyone out and tell them all literally where they're going. You know what I mean? Like there is just not any kind of common sense here. And that leads to our next thing here. Uh, a lot of people bully for Christ from a place of authority. And uh, Elaine, I'm going to let you re-elaborate a little bit more because that's kind of what you've been talking about on that Twitter feed you were following. Well, yeah, a lot of the um, religious teachers had spoken, had misspoke of scriptures and twisting them to make all these blanket statements about how you're going to hell if you do this or do that or all this stuff. And they felt like they had the authority to say so because one, they were their teacher and two, because they were their Christian teacher at a Christian private school. They had the authority and opportunity to tell all these things to these kids because they wanted to almost have, they had like a dominating spirit with them. And they, I don't know why they instilled fear in these kids because obviously all these kids have either walked away from God or questioned God in all the wrong ways because of how they were taught as a kid. Yeah. So something interesting and it's kind of the whole reason this podcast exists. Christianity hates being questioned. It hates to think that something is done a different way than the way they believe. And, you know, it's weird because evangelical Christianity hasn't even been around that long in the grand scheme of things. That's not the, uh, you know, like the way we look at evangelical Christianity hasn't been around that long uh, just in the in in history. Like it's it's changed, it's, you know, people would argue, well, that's the, the Great Commission to go. Yeah, I'm not saying not to spread the love of Christ. I'm saying you spread the love of Christ. Uh, that's kind of the difference of saying, um, like, you led someone to the Lord versus you showed someone Christ and they found God. Like, there's a big difference there. And so, so many times from places of authority, people have these preconceived, uh, you know, unctions. Some people have just ways they've been taught their whole life. Some people have, uh, you know, there's parts of truth in there but it gets mixed up in the lie and and they teach from a place of brokenness, you know, because it's broken people teaching. And sometimes it's just this whole spiritual authority bit. Spiritual authority is so freaking abused. Let me tell you, uh, to emphasize that I have been told uh, whenever I was a pastor, I was told by another person in ministry to remember my place in the fivefold ministry because they were a prophet and they were above me because their name was mentioned first. But because prophet is listed before uh, before pastor, that they were above me and I need to remember my place. What? Like, this isn't a pissing match. Like, come on, man. Like, what are you talking about? So what was the context of that? even comment like because i disagree with something i posted on facebook and because they were above me uh supposedly in the five foot which is crap like that's not even that's not even biblical like just because something is listed in a certain order doesn't mean it's one's above the other it's literally the bible verses like some have been called to do this some have been called to do that some have been called to do this 
And it says some as in like we're all called into ministry. And so to place yourself above someone else in ministry, to place yourself in a significant power above that is crap. We're all called to learn from each other. There are times in my life where I can learn from someone and there are times in life where they can learn from me. And I'm not dogging on pastors or people of quote unquote spiritual authority. All I'm saying is that that spiritual authority isn't, it's it's not a political office and we need to quit treating it as if like there are kings and queens within this uh, within the church and start treating people equally. Well, I feel like real and honest spiritual authority is those are those people that you have in your life, um, maybe be a trusted pastor or counselor or whatever, um, where you feel like you can honestly talk to them about anything and they can instill wisdom and knowledge and it come from a place of love and they have the spiritual authority to not, oh, call you out for your problems, but to help guide you on the struggles that you're having and to um, give you constructive criticism, not tear you down. Yeah, and that can look from a lot of different things. My personal, like, the guy I go to whenever I have spiritual questions uh, came out of, like, hard drugs. And, you know, and so, like, his past is, like, littered with drug abuse and substance abuse. And I love the man to death, but he is not a pastor at all. He is as rough around the edges as they come. And I love him to death, and I trust anything he says because he's earned that trust with me. But I think so many times people think that just because they hold an office, because I think at one point it was like this. If you hold the office of a pastor, then you demand that level of respect. And respect, nowadays especially, I'm just speaking for the millennials here, and I know I'll get a, a double up amen on this one. Just to get a little, you know. Amen, yeah. amen. Yeah. Uh, respect is earned, not given. That applies more today than ever because everyone wants to dominate over us, it feels like. Why? I don't know. That's the way they did things. But that's just not how we do things. And a uh, plot twist here for you. We're the ones that's about to be the ones running the country. We're the ones running the country, you know, as we speak, the ones coming into office. We're the ones doing things, the new pastors, the new spiritual quote-unquote leaders. And the way we do things is going to take over and take precedent because that's just the time we live in. And that's how we know we, we live uh, uh, more aware of each other. At least some of, you know, that's what we try to do. We try to live more aware and we don't just do this whole, well, I demand this. There is no demand. It's, it's mutual and it's given and it's beautiful that way. And that's how you get church hurt by uh, demanding authority where it hasn't been earned. And that kind of leads into the last one. This happens from the pulpit, but it happens all over. And that's uh, bullying for Christ by bullying other people's, and I have quotes around this, walk with God. And this uh, makes me think about Lauren Daigle because she is always under fire right now. Like the Christian community loves to hate Lauren Daigle. Uh, another big one that just happened, I almost made this my news piece for the day, but Lauren Daigle has decided to try to cut ties with her Christian affiliation uh, for her music. She I don't blame her. She doesn't honestly. want to be a Christian label. Uh, I personally almost exclusively listen to bands that have cut ties with their Christian label, mostly Tooth & Nail Records bands. So, you know. But however, still have some spiritual... Sure, yeah. 
like, but that's even she's saying, she's like, I'm not changing my music. All of my themes there, my heart's still where it was. I just don't want to be associated with that label. Why do I have to be pigeonholed there? And that's true. It's like that bubble we were talking about with the movies. We as Christians bundle up around something. We create these camps and don't allow anyone else in. It's this strange fire off in the distance. And all these people out there, they may want what you have as a Christian, but you won't let them in. And you're just rude and harbor it all to yourselves. We're greedy and we keep everyone out. And it's the same way with Christian music. If she drops her Christian label, do you know how fast she will be ostracized from the Christian community. Like she will fall so fast from the Christian charts, it's unreal. And you know what? That's when she'll actually start ministering to people say, she'll honestly. She'll skyrocket up the charts after that. But just because she appeared on Ellen, everyone got their their knickers in a wad because because she appeared on a lesbian show. Okay. First like, of all, I love Ellen DeGeneres. She's amazing and I think she's funny. And she actually, I feel like, is the epitome of loving people. But are you telling me that Ellen is more Jesus like to people than most Christians? I mean, she had Lauren Daigle on her show. So you didn't agree nor disagree with my statement. Just saying. (laughs) But I feel like, honestly, though, what better platform if people really think that homosexuals are going to hell and God really hates them or whatever in some twisted reality, what better way to have her on Ellen's show? You know, like she's singing in front of all those lesbian lover people. You had air quotes when you did that. Yeah. Lesbian, quote unquote, lesbian Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> I hope. So is a lesbian lover people someone who loves lesbians? If you love lesbians, does that make you a lesbian? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm just saying, like, whatever skewed version of Christianity that people had, like, in their head, they should be praising Lauren Daigle for being on Ellen's show. Right. And the fact of the matter that uh, she went there and she broke that barrier that we have, that wall, you know, what is it with Christians and walls? Anyway, that's a whole other topic. That goes back to the politics side, too not saying I'm for against Trump's wall. That's not, I just, mm. walls, walls, walls. World is, the world is frustrating. Segment us off and put us in a bubble. <sighs> Tangent over. <laughs> mm. But why is everyone so up in arms with her for wanting to do the very thing that they're just too scared to do? And that's so, that's just what it boils down to is people are scared to death of having to do anything and it's so much easier to just like gripe and moan and groan than it is to actually try to do a freaking thing about it. And so, of course, we're going to cast stones at people like Lauren Daigle who want to go out there and, you know, do what Jesus did and get out into the group, into the into the groups of people, you know, the untouchables, as you know, like a lot of people would call them, the ones that are the outcasts, the the ones away from Christ, or however you want to call it, of course they would ostracize someone like that because that is holding everyone else in the Christian community to a higher standard to have to get off their spiritual assets and do something too. When I feel like the Jesus that I know and that I have a relationship with and that I believe in would do the exact same thing. Sure. I mean, he got pissed off for dealing with people in the synagogues. He's like, I'm going to go out here to the streets and, you know, Slice and dice a fish and divide some hang bread. Hang out with the roughest of talk them. Some, you know, talk to some folks here. I want to go hang out with the tax collectors, the thieves, you know. The prostitutes, like. 
and make a difference in this world. Well, and that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And, and he did it in a non-judgmenting, a non-judgmental way. He just went out there and he was authentic. It wasn't like he did it for bragging rights. Like, hey, I went and hung out with the scum on the streets the other day to spread the love of Jesus. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was just, it was an authentic thing that he did from the heart. Last week, um, I actually wrote a blog post about how um, people have been hurt from the church based on a lot of the stuff that we were talking about and how I feel like a lot of times churches have these cutesy signs that says, um, you're welcomed here, your brokenness is welcome here, welcome home, but that only goes so far. Well, yeah, it only extends so far. The, the welcoming of brokenness only extends so far as to not have to actually deal with said brokenness. You know, they expect people to walk in. That goes back to the mask episode from mm -hmm. last week. They expect people to walk in and instantly have all their stuff together. And they expect, you know, the truth is they expect God to do all the work. We expect God to do all the work in people. And we completely skim over the whole fact of how we're the hands and the feet. We take that as like, oh, that means we got to work the coffee bar and, and greet the door. No, that means get off your lazy butt and go, like love people is what it means. We are the hands and feet. Quit expecting God to just come down and have a spiritual smackdown with people. I've heard so many times, if I can just get the sinners in the door, God, they'd have an experience with the Lord. I hate to tell you, I've had more experiences with the Lord outside of the church than I have inside the church. So I don't think getting them in the church is the solution. <sighs> Rant over. Next week, guys, we have a call-in episode. We're talking about sticky words. It's going to tie in with this a little bit. It's talking about those things we've been told in life about our faith that have stuck with us, either in a positive or negative light. It's going to be a great episode. As always, we would love for you to go and join our community, the Reckless Community. Links are in the show notes below. And I want to leave everyone just with a question. Take a moment and be introspective. Think about how you are online, how you are to others. What can we do, or what can you do specifically? What can I do, talking to myself here, what can I do to better represent the love of Jesus outside of my comfort zone? I'd love to hear from you, hear your story. Uh, Elaine and I love hearing stories. Uh, maybe you have something you've been told that would fit into next week's episode. Please find us on social media. Let us know exactly what it is and just share that with us. We'd love to hear what you have to say. This podcast is a place to have a voice. We love you guys. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon. My name is Cody. My name's Elaine. And we are your hosts. That sounded so weird. I did not like that. <laughs> Let's redo that.